0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops, and also brought to you by ControlUp, End to end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. Control up. Happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Policy Pack Software, now part of Netflix, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. On last week's episode of the podcast, I covered a worrying story that Windows was not properly downloading and applying updates to the driver block list, possibly over the last three years, leaving users vulnerable to BYOVD attacks, which is when an attacker can take advantage of vulnerabilities in legitimate drivers to launch their attack. Microsoft told BelieveitComputer.com that... They had addressed the driver blocklist sync issue this week with the October 2022 previews release, which will also ensure that the blocklist on older operating system versions will be the same as the up to date one on Windows 11 2.1 H2 and later. Microsoft stated the vulnerable driver list is regularly updated, however, they received feedback there had been a gap in synchronization across operating system versions. They say they have now corrected this and it will be serviced in upcoming and future Windows updates. The documentation page will be updated as new updates are being released. Starting with October 2022's preview release, the block list is also enabled by default on all devices. Customers still have the option to turn it off using the Windows security app by turning off HVCI or disabling Windows in S mode. This week, a blog post by Basecamp's David Heinmeier Hansen has received a lot of attention. It is titled, Why We're Leaving the Cloud, where he goes through how they are a medium-sized organization with steady, predictable growth, and then he outlines the two main use cases for building your infrastructure in the cloud and explains why he feels like his organization does not need the cloud anymore and it is better suited to using an on-premises infrastructure. This is obviously just an opinion piece by him. He doesn't really get down into the nitty-gritty either of cost analysis and why he believes there's going to be cost savings by going on-prem for him. Um, He doesn't seem to account for costs in terms of things like staffing, leasing or owning a data center, like owning the actual physical space, contracts for vendors for supplying hardware and different services required, paying for electricity, which is a big one right now, and some other things too. So I think it would be pretty interesting to keep an eye on this to see if he posts a blog maybe in two or three years and does an actual cost analysis of you know what it's costing them now, like in the future rather, um, versus what was it costing them to have the infrastructure in the cloud. It is an interesting article all the same and it is worth the read it's definitely started a lot of discussion um i think there's a lot that's missing from it personally uh, but his other points about you know being a uh, medium-sized company with predictable growth that is a pretty fair argument against um paying for a cloud that brings elastic scale like if you're not a company that really needs that elasticity then is it really worth the investment of using the cloud now again, at least in his article, I don't think he's covered all the benefits of moving your infrastructure to the cloud. And also, I mean, it's one thing having your infrastructure in the cloud. Of course, there is the alternative of uh, still, even if you're on-prem, uh, consuming other products as a service from vendors that are hosting the cloud. So um, still definitely one worth checking out. A really quick story now. The register have reported that google are finally calling it a day for windows 7 and windows 8.1 support as of february 7th with the tentative release of version 110 so tentative being you know they plan to release version 110 of chrome on that date that will align with microsoft's own end of support for those operating systems and end of life so it kind of makes sense although from memory and i might be uh, misremembering this I believe Google supported Chrome on Windows XP even after Microsoft ended support for the operating system I might be wrong on that I probably should have researched it before stating that but I just had this inkling that they did that but still it makes complete sense that they're gonna pull support once it's officially end of life. As previously covered on the podcast, Microsoft recently announced the ability to equally distribute Azure Virtual Desktop session hosts across availability zones during the host pool deployment process. Well, as of this Monday, October 24th, this is now an option within the ARM templates. So for those using ARM templates for their automation in Azure Virtual Desktop, you'll now be able to um, use this feature via your ARN templates. Sophos have published a pretty comprehensive breakdown of the recently released updates from Apple, including the just launched macOS Ventura. They highlighted that this month's updates are particularly large with 112 vulnerabilities patched. Of these vulnerabilities, it said that 27 contain arbitrary code execution holes, Uh, 12 of which allow rogue code to be injected right into the kernel itself, and one which allows untrusted code to be run with system privileges. On top of that, there are two elevation of privilege bugs listed for Ventura that Sophos at least assume could be used in conjunction with some. Many are all of the remaining 14 non-system code execution bugs to form an attack chain that turns a user-level code execution exploit into a system level 1. Of course also a reminder here that a zero day in iOS and iPadOS that is being exploited in the wild has also been patched this month so be sure to patch your Apple devices as soon as possible. And if you have been using Catalina now is the time to make a move if you want to continue to receive updates as that has now fallen more than two versions behind in terms of Apple MacOS operating system versions. So it's no longer going to be receiving updates, so you'll need to update something else if you can. One other quick Apple story, but Apple have officially confirmed that they will indeed ditch the lightning connector on their iPhones and standardize on USB-C to comply with EU regulations. Expect any new devices launched by Apple by autumn 2024 to be compliant. Although the article that I referenced for this by The Guardian uh, was still speculating on whether or not this would be uh, just a change for EU customers or worldwide. I assume it will be worldwide because it's probably just more efficient to do that way. But I guess we might have to wait and see. But they have definitely indicated that they intend to comply with the regulation. Thanks to Thorsten for sharing this next story and it concerns Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktops version 2206 and 2209, where group policy objects may fail to apply. Uh, Citrix's own CTX article, which is CTX 472865, states that group policies may fail to apply. In some cases, GP update force in the session will apply policies successfully, and in the application event log on the VDA, you might see the Citrix CSE engine event ID 12, which reads error processing the group policy. In a multi session VDA, hklm software policy Citrix user is empty. They say that the solution is to open regedit, go to hklm software Citrix group policy, and in the right hand pane, Create a new DWORD and set the value to 1 for a no-domain GPO DETOUR, all one word. Then the VDA must be rebooted for the change to take effect. They say for PVS and MCS, the image should be updated with the registry fix. Now there is a warning. They say, please note that the following situation where the above registry setting may cause the user to be unable to reconnect to a session, which seems pretty important and that includes Windows 11 VDA on Citrix VDA version 2206 or higher, VDA and user are in a different domain, or using smart card authentication. James Rankin also warned recently, for those who use the command line to install the VDA, you may notice with 2209, some of the include additional or exclude additional options via the command line for the likes of the WEM agent, user personalization layer, Citrix files for Outlook, Citrix files for Windows, and personal VDisk, no longer work. This week on Twitter, Adam Ulick shared the unfortunate news that in Windows 11 22H2, so yeah, another issue related to this new version of Windows 11, but he notes that there's some who are having an issue with their boot images for Windows 11 22H2. With this issue, it immediately reboots just after loading the WinPE. And it looks like the drivers and storage are good. And you get a get TS reg value is unsuccessful message. Adam said they're reverting to Windows 11 2.2 H1, boot image resolves the issues. And in the Twitter thread, it looks like others have reported having the same issue and the same resolution of just moving back to the previous version of the Windows 11 boot image. Also on Twitter this week, Thomas Berger shared that for macOS users who are Citrix customers, the user experience for Citrix DAS just got an upgrade. He says that now each virtual app has its own icon in the macOS dock, and no more windows overlapping within mission control. So they look and appear just like any other applications you might be running on macOS. Not all just kind of overlapping on each other like they did in the past this week was the technical takeoff event by microsoft which i mentioned on last week's episode of the podcast and in a what's new and what's next for windows 365 webinar Chris John brinkoff showed the upcoming windows 365 boot feature that allows you to set devices to boot directly to a cloud pc and for the first time ever he showed the steps for configuring this via intune Also during this event, the Citrix HDX Plus was showcased and they went through how to configure it, what it looks like when you're using it, the end user experience and so on. And they shared this week on Twitter that the rollout should now be complete within the user interface. So if you're in Endpoint Manager, you should now have that option within Endpoint Manager. I believe it's under connectors. And then you'll see a Citrix HDX Plus connector in there And also, if you're in Citrix DAS as a Citrix Cloud customer, you should also see Windows 365 connector as an option within there. The awesome Mary Jo Foley announced this week that after working with ZDNet for 16 years, she's switching gears a little bit and she's joining directions on Microsoft.com full-time as editor-in-chief. So congratulations to Mary Jo. That's Awesome, I hope you're really excited and the new adventure goes well for you. And I look forward to checking out your future work as part of directions on Microsoft.com. This week, Numescent published a video interview that I did with my buddy, Kevin Goodman from AWS. And in it, we discuss the AWS and Numescent partnership, which brings a cloud pager as in support, which brings Native support within Cloud Pager for managing those workspace application manager packages. So not only brings continuity to your WAM packages, but also kind of helps breathe new life into them. Because customers who have migrated to using Cloud Pager for managing those packages have reported getting an instant performance boost just by making the migration. And in it, we go through just kind of discussing the partnership. But I also talked to him a little bit about. Uh, when i saw him present at a user group in kansas city in 2018 he actually did a session on just kind of where he saw the state of end user computing or virtualization going and it turned out that what he predicted was right on the money so we talked a little bit about that as well uh thank you to kevin for sitting down with me and having a chat and yeah check out the video for a pretty great discussion finally to wrap up the news for this week I posted a poll on my Twitter account this week. So I'm going to do a Christmas giveaway again for the podcast. And I was asking everyone to please vote on what you feel should be the prize for the giveaway. Um, So the options are a limetric Time device, which are pretty cool. A Keychron keyboard, one of those mechanical keyboards, but it's not a very obnoxious sounding mechanical keyboard. It's got that kind of light touch feel to it. It's a pretty nice keyboard I have on myself. Uh, or an Elgato stream deck. If you feel strongly that there's something else that I should be offering, uh, please reply to me. So the poll is going to be only open for another four days, so please vote. I'd love your input on what to give away. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. First up this week, Peter van shared a blog post on configuring Azure AD Kerberos authentication on Azure file shares for Windows devices. So Kerberos authentication, it was in preview last year, I believe it was made generally available earlier this year. And it's something that you're gonna require if you're using MSAX App Attach or maybe FSLogix profile containers and you wanna use Azure files. So um, this is one that's definitely useful to review if you have those use cases. Tim Mangan shared a pretty short, succinct blog post that was really just two screenshots of the different applications on his devices that are actually MSIX packages under the hood. And you can look at yours if you would like to by using the MSIX Commander tool and just running a discovery or a scan of your device. Temedeo Amaniai blogged on medium.com this week under Kiddo Jazz on analyzing social media data using Microsoft Power Automate and Archetype. So I just love seeing all these different use cases for Power Automate and some of the power apps that people have created, and this is a really great example again. So I already alluded to it a little bit earlier, but the technical takeoff event was occurring all week this week. Uh, So if you wanna learn about some new, maybe Intune features, some different Azure end user computing features, and Windows 365 features, uh, definitely check out the videos. They're all available on YouTube. Lucia Scarlet on Twitter, obviously not real name, pointed out that the pifmgr.dll is still included in Windows 11, which I'm not using Windows 11 as my primary driver. <laughs> Oops, did I say that? I, is anyone reeling? I don't know. It's still not quite there, I think. But anyway... Uh, she pointed out that the DLL is still there and it contains a bunch of random 16-color icons from Windows 3.x still. So if you're trying to create maybe some in-house applications and you're looking for some icons to use, hey, you can do a throwback and use some of these retro icons. Jan keitel Skanka blogged this week on msnpointmgr.com on installing M365 apps or Microsoft 365 apps as Win32Apps and Intune. And finally, the awesome Kevin Beaumont shared that the Cloud Security Explorer product within Azure is now in preview. And he points out that it can show you all of your organization's open storage buckets. So a big trend within a lot of the security breaches that have happened over the last couple of years is that organizations have been relying on cloud storage that was not configured correctly with permissions. So it was just wide open to the world and Hackers obviously found them. So it sounds like this Cloud Security Explorer tool could be very useful to make sure that your organization is not inadvertently exposing data. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening.